0: This is a Faith FM podcast. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM.
1: Hello there, and thanks again for tuning in to The Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen, and this is episode number 49 of The Faith Experiment, and I'm calling this episode Digital Currencies and Prophecy. This is uh, the next iteration in our little mini sub-series here on The Faith Experiment where we're looking at the big picture of how we look at these uh, manuscripts in light of explaining the question, do they hold any information for our future? And over the past few episodes, we've been exploring things like, first of all, do these ancient biblical manuscripts have authentic historical accuracy and we looked at archaeological discoveries that have shown that that is exactly the case. These are historically accurate documents even though it took in some cases decades and in some cases actually centuries before archaeologists were able to discover collaborative resources and discoveries across the uh, old world to show that these ancient manuscripts are in fact historically accurate. We also looked at the prophetic code. Do these manuscripts actually have dependable uh, predictions that we can rely on? And we explored some of those stories in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 8 specifically. And we found how that uh, hundreds of years before events, predictions were made, again, by God, apparently. He claims to be the author of this book. And those predictions fulfilled precisely by names of countries, the number of generals replacing kings and the divisions of empires and all sorts of things. These prophecies get it right. We then looked at, well, that's all good and well for the past, but what about for the future, for our present time? And then we explored that topic of the last empire. And in that episode, we found that not only do the prophecies of the ancient Dead Sea Scrolls or the Old Testament of our Bibles today, not only do they talk about past predictions from our perspective, they also step right into our present and into our near future. And we looked at that dream in Daniel chapter 2 where God outlined a period of time from Babylon to the second coming of Jesus. And we found in that presentation that we are right down at the toes, almost ready for that last empire. And on our last episode, we unpacked what do these biblical teachings, both Old Testament and New Testament, teach about signs or uh, indications that the world may well be coming to a point, a climactic point. And we found that if you look at every aspect of society – The indicators, according to the biblical texts, seem to be lining up. So if you've missed any of those previous episodes and you want to catch up on some of our details that we have covered in this little mini-series, looking at the manuscripts and Bible prophecy and how it applies to life today in our faith experiment, then I would encourage you, if you have missed them, to go check them out. You can go to the Faith FM app from your app store. You can go to faithfm.com.au. You can go to any good podcasting platform and you can catch up on those missed episodes. We started this little series on episode 45 of the Faith Experiment, so you can catch up on that. And also, there are great giveaways in those episodes. Speaking of giveaways, I have a fantastic giveaway today. This giveaway is called The Amazing Prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. Now, to get this particular giveaway, you want to uh, stick around. I'm going to give you a special code word to text in to the Faith Experiment number. The number is 0488845311. So, save the number to your phone right now, 0488845311. And stay tuned to get today's code word. Well, our topic today, we're exploring digital currencies and prophecy. But before we jump into that, I've got a few messages that have popped up in the inbox here on The Faith Experiment, so I'll give a shout-out to a couple of people. The first text I have here is from Jack, who says, Sorry, Robbie, I didn't make it to the free barbecue in Bendigo. I had a cold. I'm fully recovered now. But don't hesitate to advise me of future ongoings. Thanks, Jack. Hey, Jack, sorry we missed you. Um, yeah, I was in Bendigo just a few weeks ago, and we had a uh, Faith FM Community Barbecue. If you'd like to keep up to date with where these uh, Faith FM events will be, where you get to meet different speakers like myself and other speakers on the network, then uh, keep an eye on faithfm.com.au slash events where we uh, post all the upcoming community events where you get to meet presenters, ask questions, hear some um, extra bonus details from the various shows. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned. So thanks, Jack, for that. Sorry we missed you, but maybe next time. Uh here's a message from Leslie. Leslie says, Hello and thank you for the faith experiment. I live in Ballarat. Just to let you know, Leslie, thank you very much for your show. Thank you, Leslie. It's funny because Ballarat's not too far from Bendigo. Um if you're listening, Leslie, I really appreciate you uh tuning into the Faith Experiment. It's listener support like this that keeps the show um going and on air. So thank you so much for that. Um here's another one from Maureen. Marine is saying, Hi, Robbie. First of all, let me say thank you for your wonderful teachings. I really enjoy listening to The Faith Experiment and learning from your expository of the Bible. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoy doing this show, and um, I'm glad that it's uh, you know making an impact on people in their own faith experiment. Another one here from Thomas. Thomas says, thanks for your teachings. Your teachings resonate with my spiritual journey. Oh, that's so encouraging. Thank you, Thomas, and uh, all the best with your faith experiment. And one last one here from Eva. Eva says, thanks, Robbie. May God continue to give you strength. Um, You have a wonderful gift of zooming in on details we miss when studying the Bible. Thanks so much for your encouragement, Eva. Um, That's actually really, really um, nice of you to say that because that's one of the things I really enjoy doing when I study the Bible. And that's sort of um, having a big picture, but then zooming into detail and uh, yeah, making it practical, putting it into an experiment. Hence, the faith experiment. Well, with that being said, let's get into today's topic, which is digital currencies and prophecy. Now, there is a lot happening in this space, and I would love to hear your thoughts and comments. You can text me on 0488845311 and join in on the conversation. But listen. To set the context for what I want to talk about today, I want to take you back to the year 1999. I was in my early 20s, and me and my best friend at the time decided we're going to have an overseas experience. So we we started planning for a six-week trip around Europe, a backpacking trip. And back in those days, you would have to go to a travel agent. You couldn't really do things online back then for booking your own trips and things. So we went to a travel agent in Brisbane, And we said, listen, we want to get to Europe, we want to backpack around Europe, we want to see as much as we can in the six weeks we've got, and we want to come home, obviously. And so they helped us uh, plan an itinerary and all that good stuff and give us um, some good tips and advice for, you know, newbie travellers. And one of those tips were the, uh, the agent there, she said you need to have travelers checks when you go to Europe because in Europe there are many, many currencies. In fact, every country there has its own currency. And so the best way to deal with money over there is to take travelers' checks, which are basically pieces of paper for the uninitiated that uh, represent about $50 uh, US each. And so you go to a, the Australian bank, you give them a bunch of Australian cash, they give you a a booklet of these little paper checks representing 50 US dollars each. And then when you travel around, you write these checks out and they give you um, the change in the local currency. And so that's what our plan was. Now, we started planning about a year out before we were intending to go to Europe. And what was fascinating is that in the lead-up, probably about three months out from when we're going to go to Europe, I got a letter from my bank. I was banking with National Australia Bank at the time, and they sent me a letter. This is 1999. And they said in the letter, congratulations, Mr. Bergen, you have a new key card. Today, I would call that like a savings debit card. And it said, if you check your card, there is a plus logo on your card. And this means now you are a part of a worldwide banking network and you'll be able to use your Australian key card at any ATM in the world that has a plus logo. You can just use your Australian PIN number we able to withdraw your money from your Australian account in local currency. And when I read this letter, I thought, wow, this is awesome. I don't need traveler's checks after all. And so the story begins. I'll see you right after this on The Faith Experiment as we unpack this topic of digital currencies and prophecy.
0: You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 04 That's 04 Or send an email to Robbie at faithfm.com.au.
2: Scattered in mercy, gathered, mended and whole, empty handed, but not
0: This is the Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Listen live or listen later. Get the Faith FM app from your app store today.
1: Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. This is episode number 49 of the Faith Experiment, and I'm calling this episode Digital Currencies and Prophecy. And I'm Robbie Bergen, and I'm your host, and I'm taking you on this journey back to 1999. Before the break, I was sharing with you how I was planning to do an overseas trip, and a part of that plan to travel around Europe in 1999 was traveler's checks. But then right before I was about to leave Australia to go on the trip, I get a letter from my bank, National Australia Bank at the time, who said, congratulations, Mr. Bergen, you have now received a new updated uh, key card. And on this key card, there's a special logo. It's the plus symbol. And if you go to anywhere in the world and you find an ATM that has the PLUS logo on it, you will be able to withdraw your Australian currency with your Australian pin in local currency. And this was absolutely amazing. Now, in today's episode, I have a great giveaway to give. It is a magazine booklet called The Amazing Prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. You'll want to get today's code word coming up very shortly and text it in on our number zero four triple eight four five three double one. That's zero four triple eight four five three double one. So stay tuned for that. So, what had happened in 1999 that caused me to get excited about getting this new ATM card that allowed me to not have to need travelers' checks, but allowed me to access currency, local currency, from my Australian bank account in real time? Well... What had happened was in 1999, the World Banks created an agreement that allowed for data exchange and interconnection between the world financial systems, allowing for real-time checking from one country to another to verify PIN numbers and bank balances and to enable monetary transfers. You know, for us today in 2023, that seems like ancient history, but the world has changed dramatically in the past 20 years or so. I want to introduce to you a an author that I have read pretty extensively. He's an American political commentator by the name of Thomas Friedman. And he's done a lot of work in the Middle East. He's written on global trade, foreign affairs, globalization, environmental issues. Uh, he was a columnist for the New York Times. This guy is a, uh, is a, well, he's sort of retired now, but he was the who's who of uh, commentary in the early 90s, 80s and 90s. He wrote a book in the early 1990s called The Lexus and the Olive Tree, and this became a world bestseller, and it's considered now a classic on the theme of globalization, so The Lexus and the Olive Tree. And in this book, he uh, he basically reveals why he thinks – In 1990s, early 1990s, that we are moving towards what he calls a global economic village, and uh, he identifies in this book three driving factors that he could see in the 1990s that if we continue down this path, we will indeed become a global economy or a global economic village. So, to summarise the book, there are three driving factors he identifies number one he says the democratization of technology now what does he mean by that he means that in the 1990s something was changing and that was that everyone in the world was starting to get access to modern technology such as laptops and well it was computers first of all desktop computers and then they're moving towards laptops and and uh, tablets and these sorts of things and these are the old tablets, not the iPads and the Galaxies. These were the real old ones. But he, he said, listen, over the just the few short years, the price of technology has been dropping, the increase in technology has been increasing, and the access to technology has been getting more available. He says, if we continue down this trajectory, we will find ourselves in a very different world in a not too many years from now where we will be globally connected. Now, he wrote this in the 1990s and we're looking back 20 years or so later and it's astonishing how much technology has become accessible. Most people have at least one or two smartphones in their homes, a a couple of tablets, maybe a a laptop here or there, or maybe some still old desktops. But in some instances, the TVs are just as smart as our uh, computers used to be in the 1990s. And everyone has access to it, pretty much. There's no no real countries in the world that I've been to where you can't still get access to some form of technology. Now, the second factor he identifies in his book, The uh, Lexus and the Olive Tree, is the democratization of finance, which means that in his view in the 1990s, it was getting easier and easier to obtain money to buy this technology. And he cites things like credit cards are becoming more accessible, um, small loans. There was the advent of Payday loans, um, and today we've got afterpay and interest-free lay buys and all this sort of stuff. And what that's doing is allowing people to have more access to the funds to purchase technology, which is leveling the playing field, so to speak. And so people are getting more and more connected because. Finance is basically available and that makes them able to purchase technology. And think about this. I've been to some countries that would probably be termed as third world and yet I see uh, the latest iPhones and uh, all the various other Android phones and things being used in uh, economies where you would think that the priority is not technology, it's probably just uh, living. But he, uh, he he saw this coming and we live in a world now where it's come. And the third and final drawing fact that he identifies in his book is the democratization of information, which means that the world's information is becoming accessible to virtually anybody at any time. Now, when he wrote this and he could see this, this was sort of at the advent of the early version of the Internet. There was, um, you know, some web pages around and some big companies the big companies now were starting to form like eBay and and uh, uh, MySpace and these sorts of places but realistically information was still pretty scarce I mean people were putting up websites and things with facts and figures and things but not on the scale that we have today and so in the 1990s Thomas Friedman saying listen if we get more technology to more people more money to more people to get more technology, that's going to create an opportunity for the democratization of information, which means that everybody will have access to the same information in real time. Now, think about what's happened in the last 20 years. We've got uh, an explosion of what we call Web 2.0. Some are saying we're at 3.0, and these are things like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and and live streaming, blogging and vlogging and all these sorts of things. Information is now accessible. I've got a a seven-year-old son And when we're driving in the car and he's looking out the window and he sees a bird or a tree or a car or a plane, the first thing he asks us in the front seat is, hey, can you Google it? I want to see a video of it so I can learn more about what I'm seeing. Absolutely phenomenal. When I was a kid, you had to go to the library and ask the old lady which section of the books to look for the information for your rocket um, project you're working on. So Thomas Friedman got it right. He could see the uh, democratization of technology, finances, and information. Now, he's not a religious person. He's purely an educated person that can see the patterns around him. Well, let's take a short break now. Stick around. We've got a code word coming up very, very soon for today's great giveaway. I'll be right back after this with digital currencies and prophecy on the faith experiment.
0: the Faith Experiment is made possible because of people like you. If you enjoy what we are doing, please consider supporting us by making a donation on our website at faithfm.com.au We've watched the house
2: fall Before our eyes We have seen Countless Children die We have Wept tears at The end of Dreams No one is free here From suffering But the life We gain through Christ Cannot be taken Even though we lose it all, we'll not be lost, we'll not be lost, behold this love. certain.
0: to the faith experiment with robbie bergen right across australia right here on faith fm
1: welcome back to the faith experiment this is episode number 49 digital currencies and prophecy i'm robbie bergen and you're listening to the faith experiment coming up soon is the code word for today's great giveaway you want to save this number on your phone 048845311 that's 048845311 and wait for today's code word so before the break, I was sharing with you how um, I wanted to go on an overseas trip. We bought travellers, checks me, my best friend. And then just before we we're going to go in 1999, we were told, hey, listen, you don't need them anymore because we've got a great new advancement in the banking sector. It's an ATM card here in Australia, issued in Australia, pin numbers in Australia, bank balances in Australia, but you can use it anywhere in the world. And so advances have been made. And I just shared with you how I have a book in my library called The Lexus and the Olive Tree, written by a political commentator, Thomas Friedman. And in his book, he says, listen, from the perspective he wrote it in the 1990s, he says, I can see that things are changing. And if these three things continue to change, we're going to end up in a global village. Those three things were um, democratization of technology, meaning People can get access to technology. Number two, democratization of finances. People can get money to get the technology. And number three, democratization of information. People will be interconnected in real time, he could envision in the early 1990s. Looking back now from the year 2023, it's all ancient history, and we live in that very much um, interconnected world financially, technologically, and from an information perspective. So what's the purpose of me sharing this book? Well, in the book, after he goes to this great trouble of saying there are these three things that he can see are happening in the world around him, he says, if these three things actually do take place, which from our perspective, they already have, he says, there's two great fears that I have. Fear number one, he says, if we are globally connected, we place ourselves in a position to have a single group or worse, a single person at the head of the economy. So he was worried about the opportunity for global economic control. That's his first fear in the book, if we become a global village. His second fear was because of the interconnectedness of the world, if one country or one bank goes down, it has a very real possibility of taking the rest of the world down. And so his second fear is the possibility of global economic collapse. Now he wrote this book in the 1990s and he, uh, maybe he did know, but he didn't know. He couldn't have known that by the year 2008, just a few years later, about 10 years later from his perspective, we had the global financial crisis, which many are saying was the first of many. To come, we saw that in 2008 with the GFC, the US markets sort of sneezed and the rest of the world caught the economic cold. Now, of course, we started to see that again in 2020 with COVID. We saw that the Australian um, ASX lost 24% in the first quarter of 2020 just because of the global connectness connected around COVID 19. Now, this problem has just gotten bigger over the past few years since the whole COVID thing happened. We've saw massive amount of bailouts and spending and issuing of cash, basically printing cash. And as a result of that now, by the end of 2022, beginning of 2023, we now live in a hyperinflation period of time. Well, that's what we're sort of heading towards We see inflation on the increase, and as a result, interest rates are being raised around the world and the various central banks. And many are asking, does Bible prophecy contain any information on where we're heading from an economic point of view? Well, let me say right now here on The Faith Experiment, the Bible absolutely does have a fair bit to say about economic prophecy. Most of what you've heard... In this space is from the book Revelation, or at least in the context of the mark of the beast. Now, for most, when you hear economics and you hear Bible prophecy, you have this picture of uh, perhaps microchips being implanted under the skin. Uh, we've seen that happening, in fact, in parts of Europe and parts of the United States, where many companies, tech companies, have made a big point out of in inserting these uh, RFID chips under their right hands for access control to buildings and to pay in the cafeteria and these sorts of things. There's numerous uh, news articles on that. You could just Google that and find a whole bunch of things. But that's one of the imageries that come to mind. Others have this idea of tattooed barcodes on your, on your head. But the thing we want to talk about is what does the Bible actually talk about in regards to the financial future? Well, we're going to focus on this episode a little bit in the book Revelation. And so to get your bearings, Revelation was written by John, who was a disciple of Jesus. And John claims that he received a vision from God regarding the future. Now, in this vision, he received it around the year 96 AD. That's literally the time that he was on the island of Patmos and he receives this vision and he writes it down. But according to what he writes down, he's claiming that these predictions are from his time in the first century AD all the way down to the end of time or the great day of judgment, as he refers to it. So the prophecy of Revelation has this immense period of time from 96 AD all the way down to the end of time or to the last days. But through that um, overarching storyline There are many sub-themes and plots, but the overarching storyline is that there's some kind of great cosmic conflict between the forces of good and evil. And according to Revelation, although this great controversy began long before our time, the prophecies in this book indicate that the conclusion will be wrapped up here in our place on earth in the not-too-distant future. That's kind of the the uh, the big summary of the book of Revelation. Now, one of these sub-themes is that of economics, or specifically global economics. And the backdrop to this is found in the 12th, 13th, 17th, and 18th chapters of the book of Revelation. But I want to stress this from the onset, that economics in Bible prophecy is really a sub-theme. It supports a bigger narrative. And so I want to look at the big picture narrative first so we can understand how economics as a sub-theme plays into it. So in Revelation, we're introduced to three beasts. Now, I've told you from the faith experiment that beasts represent kingdoms or powers, whether they be political or religious, they represent that kind of entity. And in Revelation, we're introduced to this sort of this counterfeit trinity, this unity of three beasts working together. We have a dragon. We have a, uh, a, we call it a composite sea beast. It's a sea beast because it rises up out of the sea, but it has these different characteristics of different animals, which we'll look at in a second. And then there is a earth beast or a beast that has this appearance of lamb-like horns. And it's also called a false prophet the sea beast is also called babylon the great and uh that 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 first beast is the dragon so let's have a look really quickly at how these three characters are introduced into the book of revelation because they are the major players in the story against the forces of good and evil so the dragon he's portrayed as the real architect of the three he's the one calling the shots but he works in the background um, notice some of these passages in the book of Revelation, at, speaking of the dragon. It says in Revelation 13 verse 2, it says, The dragon gave him his power, his throne and his great authority. The dragon's got the power. He's the one pulling the strings in the background. While the sea beast or Babylon the great... It uses the power the dragon gives, and it marvels the world. People are amazed by it, and according to the prophecy, they end up actually worshipping the sea beast. Here's how John records in Revelation 13, verses 1 through 3. He says, John speaking, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, and all the world marveled and followed the beast, and they, that's referring to the world, worshipped the the beast and authority was given him over every tribe, every tongue—that's a language—and every nation. So the prophecy claims that there is a a nation or a power, the sea beast, who is coming and who will attempt to take global control. Now that's funny in a sense because that's exactly what Thomas Friedman, in his book, who's not religious, he wrote about his first fear that there'd be some kind of um, individual or um, group of people taking global control. Now that brings us to our third character in the Revelation narrative, and that's the land beast, or as Revelation calls it, the false prophet. It's the sea beast's hired help. Here's the muscle. The land beast uses legislation. It uses military. It uses economy and its power to get everyone into line and to get them on the same page with the same program, with the same agenda that the sea beast is actually trying to do. So the land beast brings the earth into harmony with the will of the sea beast, who's really just the puppet or the front man for the dragon, who's behind the scenes designing and pulling the strings. John saw this land beast and describes him as saying, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes, that's forces, the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, that's our seed beast. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Well, it's Sunday. Short break now, but when we come back, we're going to jump straight into these three characters and their relationship to digital currencies and prophecy.
0: If you have enjoyed this episode of the Faith Experiment, please help us get the word out by sharing our podcast with your friends and family, and don't forget to like us on Facebook. The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right here on Faith FM.
1: Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen and you're listening to episode 49 called Digital Currencies and Prophecy. I've been sharing this episode how that in 1999, the banking community changed. It introduced the ability to use your local ATM card with your local pin, local balance in any country around the world that had the same Network, And so something was changing in 1999. I share before the break how that Thomas Friedman, a political commentator, saw that in the 1990s things were progressing on a trajectory that leads to a globally connected world. If three things happen, access to technology, access to finances, and access to information, all three things have happened. And that raised two fears for him. One was the possibility of global economic control and the possibility of a global economic meltdown or collapse. And just before the break, we looked at the book Revelation, an economic prophecy. There is a major theme in Revelation regarding the the conflict between good and evil, uh, truth and error, life and death. But I share with you how there are a number of subplots, and one of those is economic. And just before the break, we looked at those three Characters, Those three beasts, the dragon, who's the architect behind all of this um, attack on all things that are good. And in front of the architect, who is the dragon, there is this sea beast or Babylon the Great, who's the front man. That's the one that everyone sees and everyone ends up worshipping and marveling at. But he doesn't have power, so he enables the land beast, who is the hired help. He has the power to get things done. Done, And I share with you that last passage, Revelation chapter 13, in verse 11, it says, Then I saw another beast rising up out of the earth, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. This is this hired help. He's exercising all the authority. And he's the one that causes or forces the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, which is our sea beast or Babylon the great. And then we read it just before the break. He causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or in their forehead that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So there are three characteristics that we just saw in that last passage. The characteristics are that no one may buy or sell Except now imagine with me these three points on a piece of paper. No one. Who does that actually impact in this passage? It actually impacts globally everybody. The way it's written it says no one may buy or sell except. It means that everyone globally is affected. That's point number one. Characteristic number one is global. Number two, may buy or sell. What's that dealing with? That's economics. And so we have global point one, point two, economic. And point three is the word except. So no one may buy or sell except, and then it gives some criteria. A a, a synonym for that word except in this passage is actually the word control. It's controlling who can buy and sell and those who can't buy and sell. And when you put these three points together with these synonym words, you have global, economic, economic control and that was exactly the fear the first fear that Thomas Friedman had in his book so the book revelation written some 2000 years ago is indicating that the time is coming when there will be global economic control by this this uh, land beast who's the hired help he's the one that coerces people in along his path and his will to achieve the goals of the front man that's the sea beast or that's the babylon the great but he's really just acting on behalf of the great architect behind him who is, in fact, the dragon. Now, here's where it gets interesting, so stick with me on this. In order to have global economic control, you would need to see two things introduced into the world. The first one is you'd have to have a globally connected financial system. If you want to control someone from buying on selling, you're going to have to have a global network of some description. So that's the first ingredient you need To achieve global economic control, you need a global financial system. Now, the second thing you're going to need is a controllable currency system. You're going to have to remove the cash. It needs to be something that's digital, something that's controllable, a controllable currency, because you have to be able to turn it on or off. So two things you would need. To have global economic control, you'd have to have a global financial system, a connected banking network, and you'd have to have a controllable currency system of some description. So watch this. Remember my story in 1999? In 1999, the world became globally connected in real time with its financial systems. Now, that means the first ingredient was achieved just over 20 years ago. 20 years ago, the first building block was laid in order for this economic sub-theme of the book of Revelation to be possible. But there's a second ingredient. There needs to be a controllable currency. Something that is uh, removing away the tangible that we have with gold or silver or cash if you have this tangible way to interact with people, then there's no way that you could be globally controlled in your buying and selling. Now, remember, this is a subplot to the big picture here. But I want to explore this idea of is there or has there or will there be a controllable currency system? So this is where it gets interesting. Now, for this next few minutes, I'm going to be sharing with you a bunch of current articles from various news outlets. And I'll try and give you the references as best as possible. Um, but being that I'm reading this on air, it's going to be uh, probably a, a bit overwhelming. But let's just give it a shot. All right, so I've been tracking this space for some time now. I want to give you a quick whirlwind tour to get you up to speed with where we are in 2023. I've got a source here from MasterCard. It's an advisory report and it's uh, released by CNN. The title is The Evolution of a Cashless Society. And it goes around on a map by regions of the world, and shows how that there has been, this is back in 2013, a major shift towards a cashless society. The US is at 80%, Brazil was at 57%, Belgium was at 93%, and India was at 32%. Australia, interestingly enough, didn't really even rate on the radar in 2013. Now let's move forward a few more years to 2018. Just a few years ago, I have an article from the Sydney Morning Herald And the title is, cashless future is here with coins and banknotes becoming niche. The article goes on to say that the Australian Central Bank this week declared that currency, which has allowed civilizations to trade and flourish for millennia, was likely to become a niche payment used only in emergencies while checks would be phased out altogether. And globally, we are following the international trend. Another statement here from The New Daily. In 2018, it says Australia's path to a cashless society is accelerating and is inevitable. This is 2018. In the same year, the uh, Reserve Bank of Australia, on their website, they posted a speech by Philip Lowe, who was the governor. He says a journey towards a near cashless payment system. And he introduces the NPP or the new payment platform, which would be phasing out the FPOS network and being replaced to enable for cashless payments, completely cashless, using digital currencies. So that was 2018. And by the way, he announces it'll be ready in 2020. So when we get to 2020, the Commonwealth Bank and all the big four banks release uh, statements saying, hey, pay ID is the way to go. Pay ID is basically the way to get a unique ID that is um, transferable across banking institutions. So if you're banking with Commonwealth Bank and you have a pay ID, you can go and bank with ANZ. You'll have the same pay ID. You go to the other one. It's a, It basically follows you like your phone number does. And that came online in 2020. Now, in 2020, in February, I've got an article Sydney Morning Herald which talks about the business appeal of tap and go and the end of cash. And basically, the idea is, hey, if we don't have cash, then we can't get um, money stolen by our staff. So it's a good idea. Let's move down that direction. Then in coronavirus hits in March 27, 2020, Small Caps magazine says coronavirus could speed up an introduction to a cashless society because of the fears of coronavirus spreading on cash. Then in March 2020, ABC News reported coronavirus fears mean shops are accepting card payments only. Is this the end of cash? Then Sydney Morning Herald published on April 2020, The coronavirus will accelerate the trend towards a cashless society. And then um, Euromoney magazine says in April 2020, cashless after COVID. And it talks about how that there is an alarming rise towards cashless transactions. Then in Forbes magazine on March 24 on 2020, they cite an article titled, The Digital Dollar and the Digital Wallet Bill Surfaces in the U.S. Senate. And basically, there is a bill, well, there was a bill put forward for a stimulus package, and in the initial bill submitted to the Senate, it stipulated that the money should only be paid out in a digital dollar, US dollar, in a digital wallet bill. This is Forbes magazine. Now, after that, um, it was leaked to the press and all that sort of stuff. The bill got amended, and that clause was taken out. So then Forbes comes back at the end of March saying, should our societies go cashless? Then Forbes publishes another article the next month saying, forget the coronavirus stimulus bills digital dollar, the digital euro is coming. And then Fortune magazine posted on April 2020, why the US shouldn't let China dominate the digital currency race. Then jumping to 2022, February, the Sydney Morning Herald publishes, the end of the dollar as we know it, The Reserve Bank of Australia suggests digital tokens are on the money. Then in August 2022, Reserve Bank of Australia to trial a digital currency. Then December 2022, the Reserve Bank concerns over impact on banks after Aussie Reserve Bank digital currency rollout. And the article says the Reserve Bank of Australia believes that it will replace the Australian dollar, ultimately avoiding commercial banks fully if they head down this path of a digital currency, which they're currently trialing. Then news.com.au says digital currency tested by CBA, the ANZ, as the Reserve Bank of Australia seeks to stave off the threat of cryptocurrency. That was March, 2023, just a few weeks ago. And then in Decrypt Magazine, On February 2023, Japan announces the launch of a new central bank digital currency pilot this April, starting this month. Fortune crypto magazine publishes in February 2023, central bank currencies are coming whether you want them or not, should we be worried? And then crypto magazine reports, the Fed chairman confirms that a US central bank digital currency would not be anonymous friends something is happening all the major economies around the world the reserve banks of around the world are trialing digital currencies and the reason this is significant is because these digital currencies are controllable and trackable And this is exactly what the book Revelation alluded to some 2,000 years ago. And it's only in the last 20 years that we first forgot a globally connected financial system. And it's now in our time here in 2023 that we are seeing the testing and ultimately the rollout of digital currencies, controllable currencies and the phasing out of cash. Meaning that the economic subplot of the book Revelation is now almost completely possible to be fulfilled so let's continue this faith experiment together and let's find out what the solution to all of this changing world environment is in relation to our faith experiment well mentioned top of the show i have this amazing resource to give you it's called the amazing prophecies of daniel revelation and in light of today's topic especially we want to understand these prophecies As much as is possible. Now, to get today's free offer, you want to take out your phone right now and send a text message to 0488845311. That's 0488845311. And you want to text the code word, the hash symbol, followed by FE for faith experiment, and followed by 49, which is episode 49. So that's all one word, no spaces, hash FE49 and the bot will ask you some questions and we will get this amazing resource out to you as soon as possible. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Digital Currencies and the Prophecy and all of this shows that these prophecies seem to be knowing what they're talking about, which means we need to spend time studying them.
0: You have been listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 04888 That's 04888 Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au and let us know what you thought of this episode. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Faith Experiment, please help us get the word out by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.
1: Hey, guess what? Robbie here. This is a bonus. The Faith Experiment is going to be going live. Not on radio, but in person. Check out faithfm.com.au slash events to see where I'll be visiting next. I'll be visiting towns and cities right across Australia presenting the Faith Experiment in person. So if you'd like to join me, come say hello or just dig deeper into these amazing manuscripts and put some faith in into experimentation check out faithfm.com.au slash events and see where I'll be visiting next